0: on BFBS with Kate Thousands of secret ISIS membership details are leaked. How big a coup is it for the security services? Violence on the increase in Libya. We ask why.
1: We need to get past, to some extent, Uh, our addiction to killing terrorist leaders
0: paul punditry have experts lost the plot and women in combat it could happen as soon as the summer The personal details of tens of thousands of Islamic State militants, including dozens from the UK, have been revealed in leaked documents. The files which were passed to Sky News include all the details they had to give to join IS, including their full names. Well, Richard Barrett, a former MI6 Global Terrorism Operations Director, describes it as a fantastic coup.
2: It will be an absolute goldmine of information of enormous significance and interest to very many people, but of course particularly the security And intelligence services.
0: Well, the man who stole the documents is an IS defector who calls himself Abu Hamid.
2: I want to
3: say to people inside the organization the organization is a lie. It is
4: not Islam. There is nothing that ever follows the Sharia or Islam. It's far from Islam.
0: Well, we're joined on the programme today by the writer and broadcaster Robin Lustig. Good to speak to you today, Robin. Seem, seems like good news for the security service. How useful do you think this information will really be?
3: Oh, I think it's useful in a number of ways, but two specific ways. First of all, it sows doubt in the senior leadership of IS themselves. They know that there are people who are prepared to betray their secrets and that must be very worrying for them. The second thing I think which is really useful to the intelligence services is it enables them to look at the names on these lists and see how many of those names are of people who have returned to their home countries. Here in the UK, in France, in Germany and other European nations one of the biggest concerns of the security services is those people who may have gone from Europe to Syria and Iraq to join IS and who have then returned back to Europe possibly to plan attacks such as those which we saw in Paris last year. If they can link up the names, then that is a very, very useful thing for them to be able to do.
0: Indeed, and and I suppose it's fair to assume some of those names will be of people who have now died. I suppose it's also the networks of people radicalising those people that are important to find as well.
3: Well, indeed, because one of the things that is uh, revealed on these documents is who recommended each of the recruits to IS. So it will be possible to build up a picture of how these networks work. I do think, though, it's important to make one other point. This doesn't mean the end of IS. It mm. means that for a moment or two they are weakened. It means that there are doubts sown, as I say, but it doesn't mean that the danger is passed by any means.
0: Yeah, oh, Joining us, as ever, is our defence analyst, Christopher Lee. Uh, Christopher, are we going to be seeing another big video released by IS in response to all of this?
4: Yes, but the important part of it is, 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 uh, as Robin was talking about, uh, giving names, but from the intelligence point of view, is actually confirmation. quite a lot of intelligence gathering is about confirming what you think you know, and that puts something towards this. The other part, a bit of caution, Uh, it is detailed, and when things are as detailed as this, they are rarely forgeries. But there are certain things which may be in the translation which don't ring true, and that is the use of certain words. For example, martyr doesn't appear in the way you would expect it to. But just as a a note of caution, it could be a combination of both.
0: Mm. Robin Lustig, um, until now, IS has appeared at least to be quite tech-savvy and conscious of its cybersecurity. Do you think this is a sign they've let their guard down?
3: Well, this is one of the things that surprises me somewhat about this whole story. Ah, IS, as you say, have a reputation of being very tech-savvy. All this information appears to have been unencrypted, available in plain sight, uh, Mm. available for somebody to download onto a memory stick and then take to Turkey. Um, As Christopher says, you know, I think one needs just a tiny bit of caution. I personally don't think it is a forgery, but... So what do you think? Well... I'm surprised, let's put it that way. I'm, I'm, I'm somewhat puzzled that all of this information apparently has been so easy for a defector to obtain and take away with him.
0: Mm. Uh, there was a similar discovery of jihadist records from al-Qaeda in Iraq by US special force in 2007. That proved extremely useful. Will this help, Christopher, understand how IS functions as an organisation?
4: I think it's the breadth and that's the important part of it. Um, if you're going to look at any document like this, a WikiLeak for example, the first thing to do is say about when you get something, a document like this, you sit in your hut across the river and you say, I don't believe it. Now let's start from there. Everybody try and convince me this is true. As you do that, you begin to pick, uh, build up as what they call a tapestry, an intelligence tapestry. That so, that signs in with what we already know, and you get a sort of Venn diagrams of people in circles around people's names. That ties with that operation. That ties with where he came from. That ties in with who recommended him, and you build up a different picture. What you have to do, you have to remember, there are guys sitting in Washington and London at the moment, and, and other places, especially Germany. It's got, it's got Germany written all over it. This moment document, um, you, you've got but guys, why uh, it, it's, the, it's the way it's presented, the languages in which it's presented. Mm. But you, what what you do have. Uh, you've got people sitting there and saying, how do we compare with what we know? I mean, if somebody said this is all new to them, then I really would be worried. Mm. And so it's, it's the comparison which is the most important, the confirmation of what you, what you want to confirm to your own people. By the way, the next stage, and this will sort of tie in, it's the timing of this thing, is that the Iraqis are about, with special Western Uh, UK and uh, US special forces they're about to launch an attack on Mosul and ISIS in Mosul. There, there is we'll a, bit of that, here. Mm. It's a bit of theatre we'll here. We'll come
0: back to that when that, um, when that happens. Rob uh, we'll talk to you later in the programme. Thanks for the moment, though. Tunisian security forces have killed 28 militants after they launched a cross-border raid from Libya. The violence comes amid increasing international concern about Islamic State extremists in Libya. David Kilcullen is a former senior counterinsurgency advisor to General David Petraeus. He told me the situation in Libya is extremely complex.
1: One of the places I think we're going to see significant increase in violence in the next year is Libya. And that's because the West is rallying to deal with the Islamic State. We lie out the, the, the territory in the Sirte area, which is in central Libya, or the, the central part of the coastal strip of Libya. Um, but then you've got two different governments and you've got General Haftar in the east who's running his own um, sort of warlord structure. There is now a national unity government for Libya but it's yet to really ex, um, extend its authority. I spent some time there in 2012 and 2013. I think Libyans are wonderful. I think they really have a strong desire to put this behind them and to move past this conflict. Do, do
0: you really think the national unity government can work?
1: I think what, what we need to be doing is deciding what is our priority. Is it to make the national government work or is it to kill ISIS? I would argue strongly that we need to get political stability in place first. And not not to sort of refight the history, but the reason we are in this situation in Libya is because of a U.S. Special Forces raid in October of 2013 that captured a terrorist wanted for bombings in 1998, but also, incidentally, brought down the Ali Zidane government and led to the fracturing of Libya. So I think, you know, we need to get past, to some extent our uh, addiction to killing terrorist leaders and say what are we really trying to achieve here strategically and i think what we're trying to do here now is governance reform and standing up a functioning libyan state and you know dealing with isis is incredibly important but it's a second level problem if you don't have a state to support it doesn't matter how good your counterinsurgency is
0: that was david kilcullen uh christopher i mean that is the problem isn't it standing up a state
4: That's right. Uh, Listen, you've got three main groups, not just two, as as people say. Uh, One of the keys to it is how in the eastern part of Libya the forces of General Haftar who doesn't sign up for either of these forces how he responds and how he brings his own forces Talk to Talk me respond. through
0: the, the groups then and what they want and what's going to Well basically we got
4: one, we've got one group which is if you like officially government already which is recognised at the United Nations, the United Kingdom recognises the group and then you've got another group which says no, 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 that's not right, that doesn't give us as much as we need and that doesn't give us the responses we need, that if we got into government what departments would we have what, what possessions would we have, including the oil revenues, etc., etc. Can
0: there be a unity government that works? Uh,
4: there can be a unity government that works, but you see, something that uh, that the David Kilcullen is talking about is whether you take on ISIS uh, uh, or you have this obsession, as we do in the West, of well, let's go kill ISIS. You know, we think that's the solution to everything. Well, it ain't the solution to everything. What you've got to do, uh, unless you've got a political template and not such a, uh, just, just a group as we've had before in Tobruk and uh, and also in Tripoli. Of people just getting bloodletting as a political revenge. So you bring the politicians together, and look what's going on in, in, in Iraq at the moment. As a result of the disparate uh, nature, uh, nature of the government there, we've got the development of ISIS. What we've got in, in Libya at the moment is strong ISIS proportions. What you need is a political result, then everybody has a single purpose. Then go after ISIS. Sit
0: with right oh, Kate Predicting the future in world events are the so-called experts losing their touch and women in the British Army could be seen in combat within months. BFBS Zip the military has been warned that it's a prime target as violence in Northern Ireland increases. A prison officer was seriously injured when a bomb partially exploded under his van. A distant Republican paramilitary group, widely referred to as the new IRA, admitted the bombing. The police service of Northern Ireland says soldiers and police officers could be targeted in what it calls a worrying escalation. The warning comes just ahead of the centenary of the Easter Rising in April. Stephen Martin is the assistant chief constable.
5: I am not surprised by this attack and I would encourage people to be vigilant. We still have uh, people in our society who want to kill and their primary targets are police officers, prison officers and soldiers.
0: Well, The Independence. David McKittrick has written several books on Northern Ireland and he joins me now from Belfast. Good to talk to you today, David. Just define the threat in Northern Ireland at the moment.
2: It's a threat which is nothing like the threat of the old days when the main IRA was on the go. But it's at the same time, it is never one that has actually completely gone away. You have a little, a little a ragbag armies or, or of terrorists who all who call themselves IRA in different forms, and there might be kind of four or five or six of these. Uh, They're very heavily penetrated by the security forces and MI5. There's a lot of informers and agents in there. There's a lot of bombs get stopped on their way to, to targets and so on. But at the same time, they've never actually been put completely out of business. So they are a constant threat always there in the background.
0: How warranted is the police warning?
2: Oh, it's very obvious that these people have, um, have been planning things to coincide with the rising of 1916 when there are going to be a lot of uh, markings on the Republican side of, the, of this. And the logic is that there's, there's nothing that they would like better that to show that they're still in business 100 years later, as it were, and the way they would best like to do that is by killing members of the security forces.
0: Christopher, your thoughts on this? I'm just thinking, um,
2: David,
4: when going back, you know, when the um, provisional IRA appeared, and people say, oh, well, you know, it's just because they were upset about the IRA and the way they thought they'd handle things and joined the the political mainstream, etc. There is no chance, is there, or is there, of a dissident groupings as we see them, almost people looking around for a job to do. There's no chance for that would develop into something as powerful as the provisional IRA?
2: Not at all. Uh, first of all there's no chance of the de- developing politically because they have been at this point before or always where they say we, do, we just don't believe in politics. Also the size, uh, the support that they have, they stand for little council elections sometimes and the support they have there would be scores or hundreds and certainly not thousands. So it's the, the, the troubles are over, the main troubles are over here in Belfast so this is some kind of hangover which as I say doesn't actually disappear, uh, it's, it's still there but it's never ever everybody is, the rest of society is absolutely determined about this it's never going to go back to the bad old days
0: So David, how many people do you think are in this new IRA and how many in the real IRA?
2: Uh, we're talking about scores perhaps we're talking about hundreds Uh, there's there's quite a few of them who actually are members of it but they're actually in prison at the moment because they do get locked up quite a lot uh, so you're talking about hundreds there's been a lot of surveillance and a lot of arrests and a lot of uh, capturing of bombs on their way to targets and so on Mm. so it wouldn't come out of the hundreds really There's there's one other aspect of this uh, Northern Ireland uh, part of the
4: United Kingdom but if you're in the rest of the United Kingdom Hardly raises a headline, does it of what is going on in these uh, in these danger periods
2: yes the, these guys don 't seem to think in terms of victory or in terms of breakthroughs or anything else. They just want to to keep putting down a marker that um, that as long as there are British forces and so on, as they would say it, in Northern Ireland, there will be uh, uh, armed uh, resistance to that.
0: And David, what about the people of Northern Ireland? How does the average person on the streets react to these kinds of thwarted attacks or attacks on themselves when they're reported and they happen?
2: Just about everybody is absolutely sickened by them. They're regarded as completely futile. They're never going to win. They're never going to achieve anything politically. They just uh, offer a, a threat to human life and a threat to the development of society.
0: All right. David McKittrick, thank you very much for your time. Donald Trump, Europe's migration crisis and David Cameron's surprise success in last year's general election. Why did the so-called experts and pundits not see any of this coming? Have all of us taken our eye off the ball or are world events simply moving too quickly to keep on top? Well, the broadcaster and writer Robin Lustig fears we may be living in the age of the ignorant. And he joins us again now, Robin. um, Enlighten us, please.
3: Wow, I wish I could. (laughs) (laughs) That's the problem. I'm as ignorant as everybody else. But it is remarkable, isn't it? I mean, nobody saw Donald Trump coming. Nobody saw the migration crisis coming. Um, Just in terms of British domestic politics, nobody saw Jeremy Corbyn coming. Mm. And if you want to go back just a few years...
0: And in your blog, you you liken it to not, not seeing Hitler coming.
3: Well, I mean, I I found this extraordinary article from the New York Times in 1922 when Hitler was just beginning his movement towards power in Germany. And the New York Times said, oh, don't take any of this stuff he says about anti-Semitism and all that seriously. He's just trying to get popularity. He doesn't mean any of it. Well, we now know a lot better, of course. And, And it was just a rather uncanny parallel with some of the things that some commentators say about Donald Trump. I'm not for a moment saying that Donald Trump is like Adolf Hitler. But but there is this sort of um, lack of certainty or lack of confidence among a lot of pundits, I think, that, that they really understand what's going on. I think there is a reason for it. I think I may be wrong, of course, um, <laughs> that we, we go back to the global financial crisis of 2007, 2008. With a few exceptions, nobody saw that coming. And it was so huge and it had such an immense effect on so many different parts of the world and is still having an effect. I think a lot of, um, quote, experts, unquote, had their confidence really quite seriously dented. Mm. We we don't understand it. We don't know why we didn't know. We, remember Donald Rumsfeld, the known unknowns and the unknown yeah, unknowns. Who could forget? Well, the, yeah, <laughs> there are all these unknown unknowns out there mm. and it's just... I think it makes both the pundits and, more importantly, actually, voters feel very uncertain that they understand what is going on in the world around them. And it might be one of the explanations for why people like Donald Trump and other populist leaders in in, in many European countries are now beginning to become increasingly popular because they seem to have a certainty which establishment politicians don't have.
0: Christopher Lee, um, have you ever had your confidence knocked
4: all the time. <laughs> um, so there's a
0: serious point to this, though, isn't it? I there suppose. Is. What would you say are the? Let modern... me tell you
4: something. I reckon that we've got too many people, in the so-called punditry, and they come out of the institutions, mostly Oxbridge, having read PPE. Hmm. Uh, what you need are far more. You won't, don't, don't want politicians. It. You don't need. Politicians, uh, people who understand politics. What do you actually need far more people who understand economics, and if you look at the crises, there are two aspects of it. You look, crises over. This, let's say and since, I don't know 1990, which was the prediction of the invasion of Kuwait, right? Uh, they're all economic signs that something like this may happen. Secondly, almost all but two, I think, of uh, events. We'll call them that, dear boy. Events. Uh, they came at a time when there was this crossover period in, in, in the power systems of the world. New leaders, therefore new leadership teams. I mean, America, for example, when it gets a new president, it's a three-year process. And three years, when things aren't thinking through quite a lot, people who are very, very dug in, for example, as advisors, start pulling out of Washington and getting jobs in commercial companies, etc. And, and the president becomes powerless, and that is one of the reasons. It's not keeping your eye on the ball. Do you,
0: do you think, Robin Lustig, the world dynamics are changing at the moment, that we're in one of those periods of change? Oh, well, we
3: very certainly are in a period of change, and I don't think any of us really quite know which direction we're heading in. I have to say, I wish I shared Christopher's confidence in economists. I mean, my, my experience over many years of talking to economists is that they don't know any more than the rest of us. There are always exceptions, of course. There are the people who do get it right, but I can remember when the euro was being invented, talking to economists after Economist after economist. What does this mean? Should the UK join? Should they not join? And everybody had a different view. Now, with the referendum coming up on whether Britain should leave the European Union, you have the same thing going on. A lot of voters say, if only somebody would tell us what would happen if the UK left the European Union. Well, Economist A says this, Economist B says that, Economist C says something else. I used to have a note up on my office window which was a quote from, I think, John Kenneth Galbraith, and it went like this. The sole purpose of economic forecasting is to make astrology... Respectable. (laughs) (laughs) But also, I mean, yeah,
4: I mean, he taught me actually. Well, there you go. I I was an economist. (laughs) Um, But he he also had, uh, he always asked the third question and that 's what we fail to do in so much if you look going through the let 's say just the last few years, uh, two thousand and one weapons of mass destruction nine eleven uh, the financial crash in two thousand and eight, four years ago in refugee uh, examinations. Uh, the third question is never asked now we take one which you 've just mentioned for example e u should we go in uh, or so, rather should should we stay in or should we get out? The third question uh, a girl Braith would have said was. If you weren't in, would you join? Mm. And that is that, if you apply that to so many issues that are going on in any crisis, you can come up with an answer which makes the, the other two questions redundant.
0: OK, Rob, I'm going to put you on the spot. It's an opportunity now to ask you what, about your fears and predictions. My
3: fear is that more and more people will be attracted to politicians who offer them easy answers. My experience tells me that easy answers are always wrong, and therefore voters are tempted to go in a direction which does worry me because it does tend to be xenophobic, it tends to be anti-foreigner, it means we start building walls rather than knocking them down. And in the aftermath of the end of the Cold War, post-1989, I did naively hope for a time that it meant that the world would be a better place. Uh, I'm now no longer quite so confident that it is going to be.
0: Robin Lustig, thank you for your time today. Thank you. BFBS the head of the army says he's ready to tell ministers to open all army roles to women, including those in combat on the front line. Well, Chief of the General Staff, General Sir Carter, told BFBS he feels the time is right. Well, it's work
4: that's been going on for some time now, and, of course, it's a tri-service initiative, and ultimately it will be a ministerial decision as to what happens. But we are examining the science associated with all of the physiological challenges associated with roles across the army. But ultimately this is about maximising talent, and what we want um, as an institution is to be able to draw from the widest possible part of society.
0: Meanwhile, Norway is to become the first NATO country to conscript women into the armed forces. Around 5,000 will be invited to train as soldiers after passing a series of tests this summer. Norwegian Major General Kirsten Lung was a guest at the Royal United Services Institute this week and spoke to our reporter Charlotte Cross, who asked if she felt that being a woman had ever hampered her military career.
5: It's, It's easy to say no, but of course in the beginning I had to work very hard and I felt I had to work twice as hard as my peers. The older you get the easier in a way um, and also the development of equal rights, equal opportunities uh, become much clearer and is easier.
0: You've, you talked in your um, presentations about the importance of the female touch when it comes to military operations, especially
5: peacekeeping operations.
0: What do you mean by that and why do you think that is important?
5: I think that every time you do something that you become kind of stereotype and sometimes doing operations, you know, you can predict something uh, that will happen. If you do something that is not kind of normal, as I, I could do uh, during the Balkan operations, that was successful there. I don't say that that will be successful all the times, but at least it functioned there, and, and no operation is the same. So in a way, you you just had to kind of analyze the situation and, and see what can be done. But I, I know that... Uh, I do things a little different, maybe from my 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 peers. Um, it could be um, that I have a more kind of holistic approach. You know, I don't have a, a need to uh, kind of stand up and and uh, touch your your chest that you know I'm the commander here. You know, I sometimes I found out to being humble is actually the best way. Very often, humble and be able to listen. You're talking about you being humble? And I think females sometimes, when it comes to listen, can be very good. You were just interrupting her then, Christopher. Me, humble, I'm always
0: humble. That was Major General Kristen Lund there, speaking and to meek. Charlotte Cross. <laughs> meek and humble, yes. Uh, it's an interesting. I mean, this one has been going on for a while, hasn't it, this talk within the British Armed Forces?
4: Yeah, let me, let, 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 let me give you a think. I mean, General Carter, OK, he wants to have a go at this, but never mind. Have
0: a go. Have I think a go he might be it. a bit insulted by you saying it like that.
4: That will do him good. Now, listen, <laughs> um, the first airstrikes in the Syria campaign by the Royal Air Force, yeah? Yep. They were commanded by a woman. mm Okay, go and look at the nuclear uh, submarine uh, groupings and patrol groupings in, including at Faslane, women on board, mm-hmm. right? Um, we've got a photograph just past this doorway now of a woman that was killed by an IED. Now that is frontline in Afghanistan. Mm. We are we're, we're not deploying women. We're, we're, we're deploying uh, soldiers, sailors, and and air women. Mm. Uh, that's all the, All there is to it. The rest of it is gradual. Now, the Norwegians can do this. There's only nine of them in the whole country. I okay. mean, we've got 60 million. OK,
0: it has been International Women's Day uh, this this week, so, I mean, let's, let's not, not, not knock it too much. I I'm mean, not knocking it. I'm no, boosting no. <laughs> it. <laughs> okay, Listen okay. carefully. I am listening carefully. Uh, anyway, regardless to say... Afghanistan that there has a a radio station that has been uh, taken off the air which has been put back on to mark that event
4: Taliban do not like uh, Shahistar radio and it is brilliant. There's a wonderful woman called Zagena Hassan, and she has been threatened, she's been run out of town, she, they run everything that it, it, I would. that will destroy you, will destroy your family, the whole lot. She's back on air on Thursdays, around about now. It's a good listen, fact. is it? it? Around about now, you can get it, it is very difficult. That's right? But the point being is she's doing it. There are changes coming along with people like her who've got the sort of stability and the, and the determination that that will happen.
0: Right, another week, another North Korea story. In fact, it's a Daily story at the moment uh, short-range missile launches into the sea uh, is Kim Jong-un throwing his military toys out the pram or is there, is there more to this?
4: Very powerful military toys listen, what's going on at the moment in, in, there are two things uh, for example, the United Nations are putting more sanctions in, into place uh, because of North Korea's development of nuclear weapons in fact, the Chinese have just have just hitched up to 10 ships that were supposed to be going into North Korea, not letting them go through and that's bad news also going on is a, a biggest exercise ever in the US those, in those waters. Yeah. US South Korea. The uh, the Japanese have got an idea as well. Uh, King uh, Jong Un has said that his people have developed a, a, a small enough, a miniaturised nuclear warhead, which and you can we saw stuff this on the silver ball, didn't we? The in silver the ball, this which, week. L- which looked like some of the, the sort of mystic megal to have. <laughs> but the point is that is if it's I'm not, true, it's
0: not, not the real deal. That one, isn't no. it? That's right, in the pictures there.
4: Well, we, we 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 don't know that, and it's also true that some of his scientists are giving him exactly what he's asked to to have. But in fact, it may not be the real McCoy. But he could, as a response to all this, apparently apparently, retaliate against the American forces, the American 37,000 of them in South Korea, and also in, in, in Japan. What the Americans have done, or in the process of doing this by the end of this weekend coming, they will have a half squadron of nuclear-armed aircraft deployed in that region.
0: How, how, how serious, how much of a crisis is this really becoming, do you think?
4: It's becoming a crisis because the, nobody's figured a way out of stopping it becoming a crisis. And we're back to exactly what Robin Lustig was talking about earlier in the programme. And that is, you you see something happening but there's nothing actually you can do about it. We've reached a state, and this is the, this is the, the story, I suppose, of this decade. We have reached a state where the large countries, which by, by and large, Control the world, or, mm. or forestall things, can no longer well, do it. I mean, and what, that's what, an example. If you were in
0: a position to advise, what would you say, briefly?
4: Uh, I would say the CIA is rather hoping it's going to be a palace revolution in North Korea, and that's mm. one of the reasons that one of his generals was knocked off about four weeks ago.
0: Now, uh, just before we go, a word about how BFPS is making radio history by broadcasting live from a royal palace on Monday morning. Join Richard Hatch on royal soil from 6.30 for a flavour of the lives of the men and women who work at St James's and of those who guard it. That's all for this week. Thanks to all of our guests. Don't forget you can download the SIPREP podcast. Just search online for BFBS rep tell us what you think you can tweet us at bfps sit rep we're back same time next week thanks for listening from me kate Chabot. bye-bye for now
2: Of British news,
3: sport, and entertainment for the British forces overseas. This
5: is BFBS Radio 2. A series of recommendations
0: issued.